0: It's Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, why NASA is sending a bunch of brewer's yeast up to space on Artemis 1, plus scientists have created genetically edited tomatoes pumped up with vitamin D, and a COVID-19 memorial that will be purposefully burnt down on Saturday. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Whenever the Artemis 1 mission eventually happens, it will be a huge milestone for NASA. It will be the first flight on the new mega rocket, the Space Launch System, or SLS, and the first flight of the Artemis program that is taking humans back to the moon for the first time in 50 years. Artemis 2 will be the one that takes humans to the moon, but Artemis 1 is the crucial uncrewed flight that will serve as a test to make sure everything is running a-okay for the astronauts. It will also serve a number of research purposes, one of which is a mission called BioSentinel. NASA describes it as the sole biological experiment that will be on Artemis 1, with a primary objective of developing a biosensor instrument to detect and measure the impact of space radiation on living organisms over long durations beyond low-Earth orbits. Now, even though the Orion spacecraft from Artemis 1 will only be up in space for four to six weeks, itself an incredible accomplishment, longer than any ship meant for astronauts has ever stayed without docking at a space station, BioSentinel, packaged up in a small cube set, will stay in space for six to twelve months, helping gather that data on long-term stays in space. Inside of BioSentinel will be small microfluidics cards with 16 wells containing drops of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, a.k.a. brewer's yeast. Studying how the yeast reacts to cosmic radiation is meant to help us understand the effects the radiation will have on humans. Now, why yeast? Is it because us beer and bread lovers basically consist of nothing but bone and yeast? Not quite. But it turns out that for a microorganism, yeast is actually quite similar to us Homo sapiens. Quoting Inverse, For thousands of years, we've played alcohol alchemy with brewer's yeast. In fact, S. cerevisiae can be traced as far back as 3,150 BC to an ancient Egyptian wine jar, and today it's commercially used to make beer. Beyond its bubbly benefits, it turns out this single-celled organism is also a great analog for the human body. NASA considers S. cerevisiae a fantastic stand-in for our cells. In particular, this yeast repairs DNA damage, one major consequence of radiation, in a similar way to how human cells do it. End quote. And this is all super helpful information because radiation is a serious threat in space. Quoting again. Astronauts in deep space face two major radiation sources. One is the sun. Our neighborhood star releases a steady flow of photons, and this stream can occasionally become more dangerous when eruptions like solar flares and coronal mass ejections spray higher doses of these energetic subatomic particles into the solar system. That's the devil we know. But another, more mysterious source of space radiation is galactic cosmic rays. These highly energetic, heavy particles are bursting throughout the universe, born out of explosive events like supernovas. End quote. Those cosmic rays, of course, are the same ones that gave the Fantastic Four their powers. So unless you want to turn into an anthropomorphic pile of rocks, it's probably best to avoid them, no matter how cool Taika Waititi's character from Thor is making beings made of rocks seem these days. But the problem is, given NASA is headquartered in our happy little magnetic field bubble on Earth, there's only so much they can attempt to replicate and test terrestrially. To really study the effects of long-term exposure to solar flares and cosmic rays, you've got to experience the real thing. And since sending up some human test subjects with only the marginal promise that they could turn into Mr. Fantastic isn't exactly ethical, NASA has settled on 16 little droplets of brewer's yeast. And brewers' yeast is actually a really convenient test subject because it remains alive even when it's dry or inactive, so it'll last for the entire journey. During which time, the team back at NASA will be able to control it within the CubeSat remotely. And quoting again from Inverse, instruments on board the spacecraft will inject fluids and sugars to activate the two strains of yeast housed within the cassette-like microfluidics cards. One key part of the research involves dyes that change colors as the yeast metabolizes. BioSentinel is broadening its scope by sending two versions of S. cerevisiae, including a robust strain and one sensitized strain that is missing a DNA-repairing gene. End quote. Artemis 1 continues to face delay after delay, so who knows when Biosentinel will finally make it up there aboard the Orion spacecraft, but the findings afterwards should be really interesting and hopefully useful towards protecting future space travelers from the effects of radiation. Now... Which brewery is going to be the first to try to make a custom batch with some of the brewer's yeast that went up around the moon? NASA, there's your free brand integration idea for the day. I accept payments in the form of six-packs. I've been popping vitamin D3 gummies for years, ever since a doctor told me my levels were low following a physical in my early 20s. And it seems to be a pretty common thing, you know, especially in cities like New York and London, where you may be outside commuting a lot, but there aren't enough sunny days to really get you as much vitamin D as you need. Being low or deficient in vitamin D isn't a huge deal, but it can put you at a slightly heightened risk for things like immune and neurological disorders. And you can get vitamin D from food sources too, especially animal-based ones like egg yolks, red meat, and oily fish, but that's not super helpful for vegans. So a lot of people turn to vitamin D supplements, and many sophisticated people like myself choose to have those in gummy form. But soon, maybe we'll be able to take them in pico de gallo form, or as a nice BLT. That's because scientists have recently created genetically edited tomatoes loaded up with as much D3 as two eggs. Quoting the Guardian, "...the tomato plants were created by making tiny changes to an existing tomato gene using an editing technique called CRISPR-Cas9." It's like a pair of molecular tweezers, which you can use to precisely snip out a very small fragment of the gene to enhance a desirable trait in plants a lot quicker than traditional breeding process, and without introducing any foreign DNA from other species, said Gia Lee at the John Innes Center in Norwich who led the research. In this case, their focus was an enzyme found in tomato plants that normally converts provitamin D3 into cholesterol. By altering this enzyme, the researchers managed to block this pathway, meaning provitamin D3 accumulated in the tomatoes' fruits and leaves. And to convert this into active vitamin D3, the fruit would still need to be exposed to UVB light, or they could potentially be grown outdoors, something the researchers plan to test in upcoming field trials. End quote. Now, gene-edited is not exactly the same as genetically modified. These gene-edited tomatoes don't contain genes from other organisms. And quoting Nature, Although genetically modified crops made by inserting genes into plant genomes must often go through an extensive review by governmental regulators, many countries have eased that process for crops with edited genomes, provided that the editing is relatively simple and creates a mutation that could also have occurred naturally. Now, some of the big questions that remain are if the tomatoes could get that UVB light naturally if grown outdoors, and if blocking the pathway of that enzyme will have any negative effects on the tomatoes' ability to handle environmental stress. The research team has been given permission to conduct those outdoor field studies, although their first choice of sunny Italy fell through when they were told it would take two years to get regulatory permission. Stuck with the English rain, the team has joked that the field studies might simply fail due to normal weather. And those regulatory permissions will be just the tip of the iceberg here if the field studies go well and the team tries to go to market with the tomatoes. It could take years before we ever see these tomatoes grown for sale. And the same team is also working on other fortified crops to help get people more nutrients, although they do emphasize that they don't believe they're looking at any kind of silver bullet against malnutrition. This is simply one of multiple paths that we can take to address malnutrition. Still not as fun as the grapple, But I'll take it. One ongoing refrain over the past two years is how little we have done as a society to mourn those lost to COVID-19. In part, perhaps because the pandemic hasn't ended and may never exactly end, but it still surprised some of us how few public memorials and acknowledgments there have been to the millions of people who have died from COVID-19 over the last two years. American artist David Best has set out to change that at least for one brief cathartic moment. He's built a beautiful 65-foot-tall structure in Bedsworth, England that the community is going to burn down this Saturday, May 28th. Quoting Architectural Digest, An assemblage of intricate and ornately carved wood pieces, the memorial's dazzling design is remarkable from its base to its spire, and fits with the emphasis on mesmerizing patterns that serve as a frequent touchstone for Best's monumental works. As one might expect from an artist known for designing the massive temples at Burning Man, Sanctuary, the name of the piece, is no typical monument. Just like the project's best constructs from recycled wood in Nevada's Black Rock Desert, this Bedworth project is an impressively collaborative feat. Some 500 members of local schools and community groups had a hand in producing the decorative paneling, and students from North Warwickshire and South Leicestershire colleges were among the 25 participants, some of whom came all the way from Northern Ireland to help erect the sanctuary. End quote. Close-up photos of some of the wood pieces show handwritten messages from survivors of loved ones lost to COVID nineteen. Helen Marriage, the director of the event producer Artichoke, told the BBC, "Quote, it's a rising temple to the grief and loss that people have experienced over the last two years." End quote. And from The Guardian, quote, "...over the course of a week, the public will be encouraged to donate words, objects, or mementos to adorn the walls and the spaces between. No building should be more important than the people who walk into it," Best says. "...we're not building a well-crafted castle, we're building something that feels safe. It is within this relative safety that grievers will bring their memories and leave them behind, not to forget, but perhaps to make their peace with the past." What's permanent? Best asks. In many ways, the title of this structure poses this question too. The medieval Latin etymology of the word sanctuary means right of asylum. And what is grief if not a form of homelessness? End quote. Best acknowledges this type of expression and ceremony is not for everyone, but for those who will find it useful, it will be there. The temple is currently viewable to the public in Miners' Welfare Park until Saturday, when it will be safely burned down by all who show up to take part. Well, on to something now that can't be burned. In response to the spate of book bans and challenges sweeping the U.S. and an increase once again in public book burnings, Penguin Random House has just created an unburnable version of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, one of the most banned books of all time. Printed on fire-resistant paper and bound with a flame-retardant cover, the book is being auctioned off now through June 7th with all proceeds going to PEN America, a nonprofit devoted to free expression. Now, given the whole book-burning thing, you might be thinking Fahrenheit 451 would have been the better choice here, but if they'd gone with that one, then we wouldn't have the amazing video Penguin Random House created of 82-year-old Margaret Atwood wielding a literal flamethrower at her most influential and tragically almost prophetic book. It's badass, and honestly, a little cathartic. I definitely recommend checking out the video at the link in the show notes. And speaking of catharsis, I'm also dropping a link to a video of 1,000 musicians from 25 countries performing the Foo Fighters song, My Hero, in tribute to the late drummer Taylor Hawkins. The performance was part of the Rockin' 1000 concert, which was originally a stunt meant to lure the Foo Fighters to a small Italian town back in 2015. They've subsequently performed together at other events around Europe, sometimes being called the biggest band in the world. This was their first time back together since the start of the pandemic, playing to a crowd of 50,000 people. The My Hero performance is really touching, and if you want to learn more about the group, you can watch the documentary We Are the Thousand, linked in the Consequence article in the show notes. But that is it from me for today, keeping it a bit shorter today as promised. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird and I will talk to you again tomorrow.